and turn to Matthew, the third chapter. Now, Brother Felix, I want you to know one thing. That it appeared to me, now I don't want to judge, lest I be judged. But it appeared to me that he was planning on violating the scripture that he quoted. The scripture said, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And it sounded like he wanted to take out something on me. Didn't it sound that way? So remember when you throw scripture around, you should obey those scriptures. And, and secondly, remember that I am not just the pastor, but also the superintendent of the state of Wisconsin, where ministers who run into problems... <laughs> And thirdly, Sister Grant and I decided we're just going to elope. <laughs> oh, praise God. Well, the Lord is great, isn't he? Praise God. The Lord is great. I really appreciate Calvary Gospel Church. Praise God. We will have a great time. Brother Gary Reed will be with us. We will have our missionary service right away tonight. And then we will be dismissing, and we will have a full-scale wedding here. Isn't that something? So, Sister Grant and I will be renewing our vows. I've been telling her, we, we have been married 25 years, but I've been questioning whether we've been married at all. For fear, you know, of uh, maybe offending anybody, I told her, I said, we weren't married by an apostolic preacher. I said, we were married by preacher you know <laughs> denomination she said what difference does that matter I said well we don't believe anything else they say why should I believe that <laughs> well praise God <clears throat> isn't the Lord good but we will have two ministers of great credibility. <laughs> and I believe about uh, 75% of what he says. But uh, we have the vows all typed up. And if he will stick with that, then, then we know everything will be done right. And there will be another service after tonight, too, Brother Felix. Uh, so just remember that. Matthew 3, verse 11, for our scripture reading today. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. Now this is the words of John the Baptist. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I whose shoes I am not worthy to bear, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and, and, and with fire. A conjunction there. The Holy Ghost and fire. God never intended it for a person just to receive the Holy Ghost. 
he intended for that Holy Ghost to burn within them. And that's what I want to preach about this morning. On fire. Praise God. You may be seated. <clears throat> when emotions are measured from the standard of the world, they are, they are measured all the way from being very cold, a person as being cold-hearted. I think Brother Felix made mention something about your cold hearts or something, wasn't it? Did he say something about that or chilly hearts or something like that this morning? What did he say about that? He doesn't even remember. He said so much, no wonder. <clears throat> but a person who is very affectionate and outgoing, they're usually considered to be a warm person. Now, we seem to like the people who are warm to us, and we seem to shy away or shun away from the people who treat us coldly. This is the standard by which we measure emotions. Now, if you look in the Bible, and we'll be going into some scriptures with you concerning this, you will find that when God measured spirituality, He measured it by using terms similar to what I have just used. A person who is cold in the Lord, it simply means that they are in a backsliding condition. A person who is on fire for God is a person who is gravitating or progressing toward the ideal in God. Now, throughout the scripture you can find examples where where fire was used. And in the Old Testament, the fire of the sacrifices represented God's approval. A consuming fire upon the sacrifice represented God's approval upon the lives of the people who rendered the sacrifice. In the book of Acts, when the Holy Ghost came, if you will turn with me to Acts, the second chapter... The Bible says, and when the day of Pentecost, now the day of Pentecost was the starting or the establishing of the New Testament church. It doesn't make any difference what religious denomination that you are in. If you claim to be Christian, you should be able to trace your roots back to Acts the second chapter. Also, the doctrines of your church should be traced back to Acts, the second chapter. If in the event you're not preaching or teaching or observing or worshiping or receiving the experience of God that was received in Acts, the second chapter, there is a broken link and you cannot trace your origin back to Acts, the second chapter. Now, that's very important. I want to challenge some of you here. If your church is not baptizing in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, requiring repentance and requiring people to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues, and when they receive it, 
if they do not receive it in like fashion of Acts the second chapter, then we say there is a break in your uh, origin. In other words, there is a missing link there. You may say this is where I came from, but that's not where you came from. Now, whatever you're involved in may have started way, 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 way back. But nevertheless, it should be like Acts, the second chapter. Now, the Bible says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. There appeared unto them clothing tongues like as a fire. Now, some people say that that literal fire came and rested upon the people. The Bible says like as a fire. Like as a fire. And the tongues of fire that that appeared there, uh, when we say the tongues of fire that appeared, something appeared there that was like as a fire. This Holy Ghost that came to them set the pattern for the spiritual level from that day on. Now, if you look at some ways in which we, we measure things, uh, you, can, you can measure the boiling temperature of water with a thermometer. The low always represents cold, and the high always represents the hot. We uh, measure in our room here, I don't know what the temperature is, but uh, when, it, when it, the thermometer raises, it just gets hot. And when it lowers, then it's cold. Uh, all of us seek the ideal. As far as God is concerned, though, uh, He would like for us to be consumed with a fire in our bosom. He wants us to be hot, on fire, not just warm uh, toward Him. Now, if you would turn with me to Revelation, the third chapter, when the church of Laodicea was addressed, in Revelation 3, the Bible says, unto the angel of the church, verse 14, pardon me, of Revelation 3, unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works. You see, God knows, doesn't He? You think that, that people hide things from God? Everything is revealed open before God. That's what the Scripture says. The Word of the Lord is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing of sunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. You never think one thing that God does not know about. Now the Apostle Paul admonishes the Philippians that they should think on things that are honest, things that are a good report, and so forth and so on. Things that are wholesome and holy and and. And just as sure as God can read evil thoughts, it's necessary that you keep your mind on the Lord. God can read the meditation of your heart. In the book of Psalms, over and over and over, we are admonished to meditate upon the Lord. 
And while we're not openly demonstrating by some outburst of emotion or some rapture uh, of, of our deeds, uh, when we are thinking on God, God, God can read our thoughts as well as He can read an evil thought. And so we communicate constant with God and, and uh, uh, we stay on God's good side, if I should use that term, by, by our constant discipline uh, of thought. Now, I, I think this is so important. What you think on most of the time uh, determines what type of individual you are because as you think, character is formed constantly in an individual by the way he thinks and it will eventually make its way to the surface. There is no way that you can always think of evil things, getting even with people and things like that, see. with uh, <coughs> uh, <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I just... You know, I just happened to turn there, you know. But uh, <coughs> what have I done anyway? <laughs> but <laughs> what was I saying? <laughs> no, there is no way that you can constantly think of uh, things that are not wholesome, things that you should not think of without it. It eventually affecting you. It will affect you. Things that you read. I think it's very important that Christians understand that they just can't read all of the garbage that's published on the market and be spiritual. You can't do it. In fact, I think that sometimes even reading the paper, there's a lot of negative things in the paper. There's a lot of things that discredit people that God tells us to revere. Now, and naturally, if there's something going on that should not be going on, it's your responsibility and my responsibility to know of that because in a democratic society, we need to cast our vote on the side that stands for solid, sound principles and, and good moral and upright character. We need that. We need that more than we need uh, an economic revival. We, we need that more than we need a thriving thriving economy. We really do. We need a revival uh, of the moral fiber of America. And, and there is a force in our world that's discrediting that. There, there is a force in our world that's, that's saying, well, you know, we need total separation of church and state. Now, please understand that to a degree I believe in the separation of church and state, but nobody can tell me that any politician can leave his church if he's good in his heart, he's going to be good in the Senate chamber. And what he believes in his church will be reflected in the way he votes in the Senate chamber. And, and if, you can, if you can believe one thing in the church and vote some other way, some other place, Jesus Christ himself would brand you as being downright hypocritical. So much for that. But you see what you read all the time. And, and, and so it, it does affect you. And, 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 and it does form uh, a character in you that, that ultimately affects not only you, but other people around you. And so as a result, if I personally believe if, if, a, if, if God is reading the thoughts all the time, and He is, uh, oh, how we need, how we need, how we need to, 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 to watch what we think on and,
and what we do. When Moses slew the Egyptian, the Bible says he looked this way and he looked that way. He saw no man. Then he dug a hole. You know, and he buried the Egyptian. And, and this is what happens sometimes. The first thing that, you know, when you do something wrong, you look this way, you look that way. In other words, you're wondering who saw you. There are some embarrassing situations that I, I remember one time falling down uh, on a cold, cold winter day up in Antigo. I fell down in about six inches of water, and I was I was so embarrassed. Uh, the uh, city had, uh, the fire department had blocked off one whole block there. They had a big fire, and uh, because of the water from the buildings, it was flooding the street, and you weren't supposed to go across. So I thought, well, I'm in a big hurry. I'm just going to go right straight across, diagonally across here, and uh, by the time I get halfway out there, no, you know, and they try to catch me, I can, it's just as near the other side, and I'll get to where I'm going, so... I took out through there, and the water was deep. And, of course, I, I was straight out of Texas. You know, I hadn't been in Wisconsin ever in my life. And uh, this was quite a, quite a, you know, an introduction, all that cold weather. And I got out in the middle, and somebody blew a whistle there, and, and they were trying to tell me to get out of the way. And I, I jumped, and whenever I jumped, my feet fell out from underneath me, and I fell down. And when I got up, there must have been about 300 people standing there just pointing their finger, <laughs> laughing at me. I felt so embarrassed, and I turned to a solid sheet of ice. You know, and this is what usually happens. You know, you fall down on a slippery sidewalk. You, first thing you do, you look around and see who was looking, you know. And that's what Moses did. But see, we've got to understand that the, 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 the most important scrutiny that you'll ever come under is the scrutiny of God. And it's not that God is just the hawk eye that wants to... You see, he's interested in knowing everything because he wants to award the righteous. But in order to do that, he has to see evil also. Now, he said, I know thy works. Now, he said, now the thing about you, Laodicea, he said, you're neither hot nor cold. And so this is the way he's measuring their spirituality. Now, <clears throat> carnality... Is, is not only frowned upon in the Bible, carnality is, is described in the Bible as a way of thinking, the carnal mind, a way of thinking or a way of applying, maybe I should say, natural thought to your destruction. Now, a carnal person is not just a person who is, is, is totally evil. Now, naturally, evil people are carnal. But uh, all of us have a natural mind, and, and, and we, can, we can see things that we know that's right and things that we know that's wrong. With a natural mind, you perceive certain things. Now, how you use that knowledge or how you apply that knowledge is described in the Bible as being a spiritual mind or a carnal mind. Now, uh, teaching an adult class, I think I can afford to say this, but let's say a man sees a woman that is a beautiful woman. And he notices that she's a beautiful woman, and he makes reference to her as being a beautiful woman, but he respects her because of her beauty. And yet another man notices a woman who is a beautiful woman, but his thoughts are evil toward her beauty. And he would seek her for self or for pleasure. And I think that all of us can recognize uh, things that, that, that are right and things that are good and things that are, are beautiful. 
you can see your neighbor's car and he's got a beautiful car and you can covet that car. There are, there are instructions in the Old Testament. Maybe I should say commandments in the Old Testament uh, concerning being very covetous. And in the New Testament it's found there also. And uh, when, when I was growing up, my, my mom taught me never to tell anybody or to make reference to anything that anybody had and say, I wish that was mine. She said, that's not proper to do that. Always say, if you, if you like it, that's a beautiful car. If I ever get the money, I'll try to buy one just like that one. But don't ever say, that's a beautiful car. I wish that was mine. She said, that's a bad habit to get into. Don't ever covet what somebody else has. They are enjoying the car. They're appreciating the car. And if you ever get to the point in which you think they're not enjoying it, they, they don't appreciate it. And if they don't like it, they'll put a for sale sign up on it. If you've got the money, then go buy it. But get it honest. And don't just covet after it. And so, in, in, the, in the New Testament, you find that, that God constantly, through the writers of the New Testament, He makes reference to spirituality, and He makes reference to carnality. To be carnally minded is death. I mean, it's death. To be spiritually minded is life. You can have life in God if you're spiritually minded. But if you're carnally minded... You'll find death and destruction. And a, a person who has a carnal mind is not at rest or at peace even with himself. Because he's not content. He's always wanting something else. Uh, something that somebody else has. So when we are spiritually minded, and we think on spiritual things, we can attain a condition... Of hotness in God. Or, as the scripture puts it, we can be on fire. Now you see, when, when the Lord baptizes people with the Holy Ghost, He baptizes them with the Holy Ghost, and then their spirituality is measured as being on fire. Now that happens when you are filled with the Holy Ghost, and the reason why is because the scripture lays out a definite plan for the new birth. First you repent. Now that's when you absolutely crucify, you mortify, you nail the old body of sin to the cross. And repentance is the changing of your mind. It's doing a 180 degree turn. It's like you're driving west and all of a sudden you realize, I've taken a wrong road. And the only way I can go the right way, I've got to make a U-turn here and go back east. And that's what repentance is. Repentance is like a man who is traveling down the road to hell. And all of a sudden he realizes this is not where I want to go. I am lost. I'm on the wrong road. And he makes a, an about face. He turns around and he goes in the other direction. Paul says we are crucified with him. Just as Jesus Christ was crucified upon the cross... We have the distinct privilege in the day that we live in, and it is a privilege indeed to take all of our stinking self and nail it to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. He took my place on the cross. 
He became sin for me, the Scripture says. And so when the Scripture outlines the plan of salvation, it tells us we need to repent. Jesus said, I say unto thee, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Now, repentance is like putting everything in neutral. Now, when I say neutral, that is that, that uh, you know, there's so many things then that just don't really matter to you. That's what happens in repentance. But you may say, but Brother Grant, I thought when you repented that, that it was a positive thing that all of a sudden you took on desires and such. That is true. But as you begin to worship the Lord and you begin to, to praise the Lord, you take on a real immense vehement love and, and desire for God. But, but first, you've, you've got you to just kind of throw everything out of gear. And, and you've got to die. And some people die very, very slowly, and some die very hard. For myself, I've got to say, I prayed at an altar. Uh, I, I, it wasn't easy for me. It really wasn't. I, I wrestled around, and, and it, it was a difficult thing for me. Well, I've seen some of the tender ladies just kneel on their knees and tears begin to stream down their cheeks as they say, God, forgive me, I'm a sinner, I'm lost. It comes that way for some, but for some people it's not that easy. And it wasn't that way with me. It took me a long, long time to, to repent. But once a person is repented and then his lifeless body is buried with the Lord in baptism. And he comes forth in newness of life. You see, he is born again. Now all things are new. The old things have passed away. And so when he comes into the body of Christ by the new birth. He comes in on fire. I mean, red hot, blazing. It's consumed in, consuming his insides. He feels it. He feels the fervor. Let me just let me just challenge some of you. Think for a moment when you receive the Holy Ghost. Think about your experience. Think about what happened to you at the altar. Let me challenge you. Could it be that I'm speaking to somebody here today that slipped into the syndrome of Laodicea? That they're not as hot as they used to be. That they're not where they were when they found the Lord. That, that somehow they've slipped back. Now you might not be totally backslidden. You may not be cold. But you see, the Lord said, I would that thou wert hot or cold. Now, is God satisfied with hotness and spirituality? Definitely. What about coldness? No, He's not satisfied. Well, why would the Lord then prefer you to be cold? You see, He goes on to explain it like this. So then because thou art lukewarm... 
You're not hot or cold. I will spew thee out of my mouth. Now regardless of what we want to say, we can find in the Scripture, and the Scripture bears witness of this, a man is much better off if he's cold. He's much better off to go to the Lord and just say, Give me the portion that's mine, and stop dilly-dallying around with Christianity than he is to, to, to live in a lukewarm stage to the point in which the Lord then spews him out of his mouth. In other words, a man's better off to voluntarily leave the rank and file of Christianity than to have God push him out. Because you see, when the, when the Lord pushes a man out, it, it is a, it's a sad situation. He being often reproved, hardeneth his neck, the Bible says, shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. And as long as a man's in the church, he's going to hear the stiff rebuke from the word of the Lord, and the things that are encouraging to some people will, will weigh so heavily upon his guilty conscience that the only way that he can survive, that is just in attendance alone, is to, is to develop a hate against the preacher and a hate against the saints and, and bitterness in his heart. And consequently, God says, if this happens, I have no alternative but to vomit thee. That's what spew means. In other words, that kind of condition makes me sick to my stomach. I can't take it. So I'm going to spew thee out of my mouth. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and I have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Isn't it something how when we take inventory of ourselves, sometimes we get a different story altogether than when the Spirit takes inventory of us. And you know, it's so very, very important that a man examine himself. But when you examine yourself, you examine it in the light of what thus saith the Lord, that is the Scripture. That's, listen, I, I don't know how in the world I could overemphasize this point. Every day, every day, every day, asking God to help you to be a better person. Keeping your mind upon the Lord. Meditating upon His Word day and night. Seeking a place of hotness in God. You see, when you came to God, you were on fire. You were hot. It was said of the church of, of Ephesus in Revelation 2. Let's read one of the other letters. Revelation 2. Unto the angel... Of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and found them to be liars. In other words, they were doctrinally strong, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake, 
has labored and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first desire or love. What burned inside of you when you feel were filled with the Holy Ghost that made you want to tell everybody you were in contact with that Jesus Christ was alive? What made you sit and look at the clock anxiously in the mid-afternoon waiting for the time in which you were to get ready to come to a Sunday night service? What drove you into the prayer room that made you seek that place? Has all of that diminished? Does it mean nothing anymore? You may say, well, Brother Grant, I'm, I'm, I'm more doctrinally sound today than I've ever been. That's, that, that's, that's fine. That's good. But you see, there's more to it than that. That's what he's saying. Now, he said, now, when this happens to you, he said, what you need to, to do, verse 5, is remember wherefore from whence thou art fallen. In other words, remember how it used to be. Remember how you used to wake up in the middle of the night with tears streaming down your cheeks. You remember how every now and then you wake up in the middle of the night speaking in tongues. You had a burden for some lost soul. You remember how you used to roll out 15 or 20 minutes early, find a place to kneel and pray, but you don't do that anymore. You remember how your convictions were real strong and you were very careful in what you did, but you're not so careful anymore. You remember how that every day you tried to witness to somebody or do something charitable for somebody, but you don't do that anymore? You remember all those things? Folks, I'm calling your attention to the word of the Lord. He said, you need to remember from where you fell. Now, when you do that, he says, what you need to do is just start all over again. Remember from whence thou art fallen and repent. Die out again. And do thy first works. Or else I will come unto thee quickly. And I will remove thy candlestick out of his place. Except thou repent. Isn't that something? He goes on to say, But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now I want to just talk to you. Do you know what, <clears throat> do you know what uh, Nicolaitans means? Nico means ruler. And the latter part of that Laetans means laity or people. In other words, you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. This is making reference to priests and ministers who set themselves up as a pope. Even have an authority over the word of God. Now, there was a difference between this and the church of Laodicea. Laodicea actually means laity rule. That's simply, in Laodicea, the layman ruled. In Ephesus, 
what happened? The men became rulers. Now, Lycolaitis means that these men ruled to the point in which it didn't make any difference what the Bible said. It was what they said. And I, I, I want to put this in. I'm not trying to be... I'm not trying to be brass. I'm not trying to be, uh, I'm not trying to hurt anybody, but I want to put this in. The problem that we have today with the setup of the Roman Catholics is this, that they believe in the superiority of the Pope and the church, that you can change anything you want to change, and as long as you change it and the Pope changes it, it's changed. My Bible says otherwise. The word of the Lord is forever settled in heaven. And Ephesus hated that kind of a, a priesthood where that men could change everything they wanted to change. And rule over the people to the point that they became dictators and the people all became servants to them. And, and, and yet Laodicea had the opposite problem where the laity ruled. But in all of this, God is stressing one thing. You evaluate yourself one way. I evaluate yourself another way. And the only way that you know where you stand is when you constantly go back over and over and over and ask the Holy Spirit. Ask God. I want you to refill me with your Holy Spirit. I want you to examine me with your Holy Spirit. I want you to take the Word of the Lord and let it become a looking glass, a mirror to me. I want to see myself as I really am. Give me the Holy Ghost and fire, as John the Baptist said, would come when Jesus Christ came upon the scene. Praise God. But in both cases, you know what God was telling. He, he warned them about the absolute necessity of doing what he said because he said, if you don't do that, I'll remove you. And let me tell you something. When God begins to, to move... Uh, it's it's bad. See, the, the same Holy Ghost that saves you can also condemn you. The same Jesus Christ that is your Savior can become your judge. John the Baptist went on to say, he said, the axe is laid at the root of the tree. He said, now when Jesus Christ appears upon the scene, he said his fan's going to be in his hand. He's going he's to be like a man that walks up on the threshing floor. He takes his feet and he pushes it against the wheat. What's he doing? He's separating the chaff from the wheat. Now, when he's got his fan in his hand, what he does, he's blowing like this. And the wheat goes on one side, the chaff goes on the other side. That's the separation. Now, when his fan is in his hand, you see, there came from heaven as the sound of a rushing mighty wind. Not only is the Holy Ghost likened to fire, but also to wind. And in this case, he's saying the same Holy Ghost that makes good also makes bad. And, and what happens is the same message that saves some will condemn some others. And I'm preaching to some people here today who will take what I'm saying, they'll take it at heart, they'll pray about it, they'll seek the Lord about it, and it'll be the key to their salvation. And some of you will walk away from here and, and, and you will disregard it all. But remember, the fan is in his hand and the same message that saves is going to condemn and he said, what happens when the separation comes? He said, what's going to happen then? The Lord's going to pick up the chaff, and he's going to cast it into unquenchable fire. He's going to burn it up. Why? Because it's not good. See? Hallelujah. <clears throat> In Hebrews, the first chapter, verse 7, and you don't have to turn there. I want to make reference to something, and we'll turn to another scripture. 
Hebrews, the first chapter, verse 7, the Bible says he will make his ministers a flame of fire. His ministers. Now, Matthew 20, and if you turn there with me, Matthew 20, <clears throat> verse 26. But it shall not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. Now, <clears throat> minister here is taken from a Greek word that means to serve tables. The same as deacon is taken from. What the scripture, what Jesus is saying now, whosoever is great among you, let him be your deacon. Now, he that is chief among you, let him be your servant. And this is speaking of a man who is the bishop or the pastor. So a man who's great among you, let him be your minister. Now when he said he would make his ministers a flame of fire, he's not just talking about the preachers. While that does not exclude them, they should be on fire if anybody should be. But he's saying is, you know, the deacons ought to be on fire too. In Acts, the sixth chapter, when the deacons were, now this is not pick on deacon Sunday, okay? I'm just going to point something out that I, I think is, that, that, is, that is very, very valuable for us to understand. In Acts, the sixth chapter, when the seven men were chosen as deacons, the Bible doesn't say there were deacons there. We just assume there were deacons. And the reason why we assume there were deacons because when it speaks of serving tables, it is making reference to the same term as a deacon. A deacon is one who serves tables. In other words, he ministers or he is a waiter. Now, waiting here means serving. It doesn't mean just enduring time. Now, the Bible says that when these men were chosen, that in verse 3, wherefore, brethren, the apostle said, Look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. What I'm just trying to stress here is that, that, that you know, God is looking for people who are full of the Holy Ghost. Not just people who are half full of the Holy Ghost. Not just people who are half fire, on fire. Not just people who are, are somewhere in the middle. He said, I, I hate that, that middle ground that produces uh, uh, mediocrity. You know, uh, if you're just uh, mediocre, I don't like that. Mediocrity is something I don't like. God's looking for somebody that's on fire, somebody that's got some drive in them. Uh, God's looking for somebody that can take a stand. God's looking for somebody that can preach the word of the Lord. God's looking for somebody that's totally consumed in what he believes. Totally consumed in what he believes. You know, I don't know why, but people are afraid quite often to really get involved. 
You know, every now and then somebody will just, they, 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 they just kind of hold back. And you can sense that. I've talked to a lot of people who said, well, Brother Graham, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just afraid. You're, you know, what are you afraid of? You're afraid of God? Do you think God doesn't know his business? Do you think God has set out and, and, and his sole purpose is to make you unhappy? The, the, the laws of God are not grievous, the Bible says. If God made you, He knows every fiber in you. He knows you from the, 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 the hair on the top of your head to your toenail. He knows it all, friend. He sees it all. What you are is what He gave. He knows it all. And He knows ultimately what will make you happy and what will make you sad. And this business is just holding back and saying, well, I'm afraid this is going to cost me too much or I'm afraid this is going to hurt me and I, I don't want to really get my, oh, listen, we need to cut, out, uh, cut off all of the ropes that anchor us into the world and we need to drift out in the will of God. We need to make up our mind. We're going all the way with Jesus Christ. Now, we could be like the man who was given the one talent went and hid it. He said, Lord, I was afraid. God took that man who was afraid, and the Bible says that man was cast into outer darkness. He was given the most valuable, the most precious gift that had ever been given. And yet what happened? He backslid. Now, he didn't think it backslidden because he thought he had just what he started out with. <laughs> and it doesn't work that way. It just doesn't work that way. Because, you know, you, you can take what you had... And, and if you don't grow in God, you just sit there. You won't, you won't be where you really started. You just lose ground. You lose ground. You lose ground. You lose ground. Oh, listen. Don't you know that God wants first his preachers to be on fire? Secondly, he wants the deacons to be on fire. And thirdly, he wants everybody in the pew to be on fire. Praise God. We need a baptism of the Holy Ghost and fire. We need to take ourselves to the altar and, and say, Now, Lord, I want you to measure me again. Put the thermometer on me. Let me see where I stand. I want to be red hot on fire for Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you one thing. In these last days that we live in, nobody's going to be able to stand. That's just uh, mediocre. There's a lot of pressures being put upon people today that were never put upon people before. There is a, an avalanche of evil and ungodliness that's sweeping over our world. Moral fiber. Once honest and, and commendable, it's no longer that way. It's, it's almost like you're patted on the back if you, can, if, if you can be a little bit deceitful. And that's what people are doing today. As Jeremiah put it, he says, Now, if you can't stand when, when the footman, talking of soldiers, he said, What are you going to do when the horsemen... He, in the days in which he was speaking of then, that uh, he's making reference to a future day, but, but what he was, he, was, he was saying is, you know how we fight battles? 
First we sent out the men on uh, the foot soldier. Now he said, put it in our present day, if you can't stand when the foot soldiers go through, what are you going to do when the tanks and the tanks fly over? When they start dropping bombs around you, what are you going to do then? Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. I'll tell you one thing. I'm glad the Lord has given me a desire to serve Him. You know, I, I walked for a good number of years after my own flesh, doing my own thing, pleasing myself. The truth of the matter is, I couldn't please myself. Nobody can. See, that, that's a problem. You see, if you do what you want to do, you've got to understand, you're just going to make a big mess of your life because you cannot. If, if, if the Lord came to you and said, okay, you do anything you want to do to attain happiness, you couldn't do it. You just absolutely couldn't. Because life is not designed to be that way. And sin is designed to leave you cold and hungry and discontent. Praise God. Praise God. Give us preachers who are on fire. Give us deacons who are on fire. One deacon Stephen was on fire, and the people looked upon him, and, and, and he pricked their hearts with so much conviction, they ran upon him and gnashed upon him with a teeth and Now, certainly, in our present day, it would be hard to get away from something like that. I'm glad I live in America. But on the other hand, when you look at this man who was on fire, you know, all of us would be like, like to be like Stephen. Let us preach to people. Let us be firm in our convictions. Let us be full of the Holy Ghost. The people recognize he was full of the Holy Ghost. And that's the kind of service that God is looking for. Praise God. We'd like to close by having you stand at this time, if you would. <clears throat> In the Old Testament, as I stated before, God's approval was placed upon a sacrifice by Him consuming it with fire. If a sacrifice was offered up, in which there was a measurable amount of apostasy and displeasure in God. When prayer was offered up, no fire came. Nothing happened. In Romans chapter, the Bible tells us that our body can be a living sacrifice. Now we constantly place our stuff upon the altar, so to speak. And we say, Lord, fill me with the Holy Ghost, consume me, burn me. No fire comes, no fire comes, no fire comes. What's the problem? Maybe we just need to really break ourselves again, put ourselves in neutral. We're not pig-headed, bull-headed, and fight against God. Sometimes we need to be like Abraham when he offered up a sacrifice. The Bible says that the vultures, the birds, in the evening, 
and they were going to take his sacrifice off the altar. It had not yet been consumed by the fire. The Bible says that Abraham pulled out his knife and he stood guard over that sacrifice until it was consumed. He said, there's nothing going to take this sacrifice off the altar. And you know what? He strapped that. He bound that. He tied that sacrifice on the altar. And sometimes because our flesh is stubborn, sometimes we need to just take this attitude. I'm going to tie myself on the altar and I'm going to pull out the sword which is the word of the Lord and I'm going to drive back every devil from hell and I'm going to stand guard over that sacrifice until the fire comes. There's no real thrill in being cold. There's no real thrill in being lukewarm. Some of the most discontent, disgruntled, bitter people that I've ever known were people who just reserved just enough of their life to please themselves. And in doing so, they didn't find pleasure after all. But oh, let the Holy Ghost burn today. Now on both sides of the pulpit, there is a place to come and kneel and pray. If you've never received the Holy Ghost, friend, let me inform you, you're missing out on heaven's best. God has nothing better to offer you in this life or in the life to come that's better than the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It's heaven's best. Why? Because it's God to you. When the Bible speaks of the gift of God, it's not talking about a present that you hand somebody on, on their birthday and say, here, this is yours. I bought this myself. No, when it says the gift of God, it means God gives himself to you. And he says, here I am. I give myself to you. I am your salvation. That's what the Holy Ghost is. It's God coming to walk with you and talk with you and live inside of you the rest of your days. And heaven, God has nothing better to offer a human being than that. Praise God. Would you come and pray right now? Both sides of the pulpit, there's a place to come and kneel and pray. Cast yourself at the feet of the Lord and say, God... Forgive me of anything that I've done wrong. And I want you today to baptize me with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Come on right now, would you? Step out. Maybe I'm speaking to somebody here who'd li like to just come. Maybe you've been filled with the Holy Ghost, but you'd like to just come and, and kneel and say, Lord, I need a consuming fire to burn again. Maybe some trial has come that separated you momentarily from the fire of God. Don't be embarrassed. Praise God. Come and kneel as these people are kneeling. Seek His face. Ask Him for that consuming fire. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. People are coming. Others come. Would you come on right now? Step right out and come on. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. 
All right, the remaining congregation, would you please turn and kneel in your pew. And after you pray today, you may consider yourself dismissed. Remember our service tonight at 7 o'clock. God bless you.